we use a translation called the ESV translation. There's something about there, if you need one, you can just walk around and grab one where you came in. Um, that's free. If you don't have one of those, you can take it with you. The best gift we can give you is the Bible. Because the best book to read is the Bible. Yeah. It's a kid's song if you don't know that. Uh, we are preaching through Matthew's Gospel. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel for quite a while. Uh, and it's glorious. Uh, we, we get to camp out really walking with Jesus from his birth to his death, resurrection and ascension as a church for a year or two. So um, if you could open up to Matthew chapter 8 verses 1 to 22, that will be our text for this morning. Uh, the last time we preached on Matthew, we had just finished the Sermon on the Mount. But before the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew gives a bit of a summary of what the uh, what Jesus' ministry looked like at this time. In chapter 4, verse 23, he says, And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We see that very much in the Sermon on the Mount. And healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And that's what Matthew goes on to explain uh, very clearly in chapters 8 through 9, as we'll see. In chapters 8 through 9, we're going to see more of the healing ministry of Jesus, his, his word coming in power, authoritatively. Uh, we're going to see that Matthew structured it quite interestingly, that there's three sets of three miracles, and at the end of each set of three miracles, there's two lessons on discipleship. Uh, and so Matthew is trying to lead us to see who Jesus is and how we ought to respond. We see his power, and then we learn how we ought to follow him. And so today we're going to look at the first set of three miracles and then the lessons on discipleship. And if you'd like a title for today's message, it's Jesus' Authority. Jesus' Authority. Would you read with me Matthew 8, 1-22? When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, the centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And, at the, and the servant was healed at that very moment. 
When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you will go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Would you pray with me? Our God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When Jesus had finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and if you've never read it, I encourage you this week, take some time, read the Sermon on the Mount for yourself. This three-chapter-long, incredible exposition where Jesus speaks, and the result, the, the kind of reaction of the crowds to Jesus speaking, Matthew tells us in verse 28 to 29. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. He was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. One of the key themes that's going to run through these next two chapters is this theme of authority. In fact, if you look back into the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see that aside, once you get around all the teaching and the ethics and the morals, and you just look at who Jesus is and what he says, he speaks with an incredible authority. He says, you know, to at the beginning of the sermon, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. I mean, who is this man? The whole Old Testament, he's saying, I have come to fulfill it. I have come. In me will be the fulfillment of your entire story, he says to the crowd. Then he goes on to say, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Notice that authority. He's not quoting you know, a commentary. He's not quoting some previous teacher. He's not even quoting the Bible. He says, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. The Old Testament prophets said, thus saith the Lord. Jesus just says, I say. And then toward the end of the sermon, when Jesus depicts Judgment Day, he says this, not everyone who says to me, not everyone who says to me, so people on Judgment Day, he's proclaiming himself as the judge, which is what is going to happen. We'll come, we'll all come before Jesus, and some will say, Lord, Lord. And not everyone who says that will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me, Did I not prophesy? Did I not cast out demons? Did I not do mighty works in your name? In your name. And then he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. 
Earlier in the sermon, he says that true heirs of the kingdom of heaven would be persecuted because of their allegiance to him. It's, it's remarkable. When, when you look at it from that lens and that perspective, it blows this image of Jesus that we may have in our minds. We often can fall into, even as Christians, seeing Jesus as a good teacher, this crazy miracle worker. But here Jesus is at pains to show us that Jesus is more than that. He is authoritative. He possesses within himself a self-authenticating authority. He speaks not as a representative of God, but as God himself. His own self-conception, how he sees himself, is one of executive authority, not delegated or appointed. He's not asking for permission or advice. He's not seeking to appeal to the crowds. He is who he is. And the crowds were astonished at this authoritative teacher. But a teacher can say many things. Many cult leaders and deceivers have come since the time of Jesus and declared things with similar authority. They build communes around themselves. They declare they have access to God and in fact even sometimes that they are God himself. But that is not all that Jesus, uh, Matthew is showing us here, that Jesus speaks with authority. He also has authority and demonstrates it in the real world. His authority extends far beyond the rhetoric of a well-delivered sermon. His words are authoritative like no other. And so today, and indeed the next number of weeks, Matthew is going to show us portraits and scenes and stories, all with this one grand theme of Jesus' authority and what that means for us. And so today, I want to lead us through the first of these in three simple points. First, we're going to see his authority. We're going to be commanded in point two to follow his lead. And in point three, we're going to know his love. So first, let us see his authority. We're going to walk through those miracle stories. After Jesus comes down from preaching the Sermon on the Mount, uh, great crowds begin to follow him. And the way Matthew composes his gospel is not necessarily in chronological order, but topical. And so some of these scenes may have taken place before the Sermon on the Mount, but Matthew's grouping them all together in order to demonstrate his one point. And the first story we see is this first portrait of the cleansing of the leper. And this is an incredible story, one of my favourite in all the New Testament. And let's read it again. We're just going to walk through each one of these. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, Matthew's drawing our attention, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now we have to understand some of the context here. To have leprosy in the first century Israel was to be someone who was utterly forsaken and cast out from community. Leprosy, we don't know, they used it as a general term. It may or may not correspond to the disease of um, leprosy that we call today. 
But nonetheless, he had some kind of skin ailment, some infection that was taking over his body and destroying him from the inside out in such a way that it was prescribed in the law that the leprous person shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean, when he's near people. And Leviticus 13 tells us he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Get this picture of this rough, tormented, forsaken person. Could you imagine that loneliness? That abandonment? That pain? You can't be with your friend. You can't be with your family. You certainly cannot go to temple. You cannot be in the presence of God in the temple. You cannot go and and experience atonement for your sins. You can't go and make the offerings and the sacrifices. You can't participate in the congregation. And so this leper hears of this man, this wandering preacher, this teacher who can heal. And look at what he does. He kneels before him. He falls on his knees and he asks, Lord, see how he sees him in this position of authority. If you will... Notice his humility. It's not demanding. If, if you want, if, if you will, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. Not even healed. See, what he wants is to be cleansed, even more than to be healed. Verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. We shouldn't go over this too quickly. To touch a leper in the Old Testament would to render you unclean. You would have to go outside the camp. You would have to ceremonially purify yourself and make atonement for yourself before the Lord. Yet Jesus, in his authority, when he encounters unclean things, instead of him becoming unclean, they become clean. Jesus responds, I will be clean and stretched out his hand and touched him. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. See the power and authority of Jesus that no medical intervention, no drugs, no balms, no ointments, just a word and a touch. And could you imagine perhaps what we would have seen if we were there? Skin, cells realigning and reforming. The whole countenance of his body and changing, the look, the, the festering sores, the weeping and the pus all being cleansed out and him having whole and free skin. He doesn't say if it's God's will. The leper comes and says, if you will. He knows something about Jesus and his authority. But that's not all. We see Jesus is a man of authority. But Jesus also recognises the authorities that God has instituted. Look at verse 4. Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. The way to be proven that you were cleansed as a leper in the Old Testament was to go back to the priest and through a lengthy process they would investigate, see if the wounds were gone, and then they would cast you out of the camp for a certain period of time, you'd come back, then they'd make atonement for you, you'd have to give a gift, it'd be a very costly and lengthy process. Yet Jesus doesn't circumvent that whole process. Jesus understands authority. 
And they're still in the time that Jesus is fulfilling God's law by making the leper go back to the priests. But even more than that, when he says, go and show it as a testimony to them, for a proof to them, perhaps Jesus is even sending this leper back to the priests for them to see that this new Moses has come, this greater high priest has come. All the priests before Jesus could just declare someone was clean, they could not declare them to be cleansed in the moment. And yet Jesus, with a word and a touch, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now this man can rejoin his family. He can rejoin society. But I think most of all, I think that perhaps that even the, the sense of this word, cleanse, and why it says cleanse and not heal, this man can now enter into worship again in a whole new way. He can go back to temple. He can go back into the congregation and be at one with God. And that's the first portrait, the cleansing of the leper. And then Matthew immediately follows it up with another one, the healing of the centurion's servant. Look at chapter 8, verse 5. Jesus moves from wherever he was and he goes back to Capernaum where he spent a lot of his time. A centurion came, came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And you've got to, again, know the context. A centurion is a Roman centurion. Israel were meant to be in the promised land under their own rulership with God as their king and a subjected king underneath him. But now Israel is being ruled by the Romans, these Gentile people. It's a sign of God's judgment upon his people. And this symbol of that judgment, the military presence of Rome, comes to Jesus. And yet he, again, sees something in Jesus. He senses the authority of Jesus. He sees the power of Jesus. And in humility, this centurion, who is a leader of 80 or 100 soldiers, who you know, doesn't even have a family because of the way the Roman um, military was structured, he was just to be alone and all about conquering and all about training. Yet he comes to Jesus. And lays himself before him. And beautifully, he doesn't even come to Jesus for himself. He comes to Jesus for someone else. And not just for someone else, but for his own servant. It's remarkable. Read along in verse 7 to 10. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now again, it's remarkable because... For Jesus to go to a Gentile's home was ceremonially unclean. Again, he's breaking all the boundaries here. But yet what is even more remarkable is how the centurion replies. Verse 8, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, the centurion understands a lot about authority that I think um, I certainly didn't grow up understanding as a young man in Australia. We're very egalitarian. We don't like authority. As, as Aussies, we cut down authorities. I saw a news article the other day when Scott Morrison's face was on the screen at the AFL. The whole crowd booed. That's kind of how we view authority in Australia. We cut them down. We make sure they're low. And if they ever look like they're trying to be strong, well, no, you're down. 
But this centurion understands that we live in an authoritative world, that God has designed the world with a chain of command. And his chain of command, he was used to being under Caesar. He knew what it was to take orders, and he knew what it was to give orders. And when you say to a soldier, do this, they are to do it immediately, without question. He wouldn't even have to check in on them, because for them to disobey him was to disobey Caesar. And so we, we can learn a lot about authority here, even within the church, even within the home, that when God has given authority to someone, to a man to lead his home, to a pastor to lead their church, we ought to have a similar understanding of this century in pounds. But that's not for now. Look at the response of Jesus. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's saying like all like Gentiles are going to be brought in. That's We're a fulfillment of that right now. <laughs> no one here that I know of is Jewish. So we are fulfillment of that right this very moment. While the sons of the kingdom, the Israelites, will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the centurion was healed at that very moment. Notice here that Matthew is highlighting the necessity of faith. The necessity of coming to Jesus in humility and in belief in who he is. The difference in the end of eternity between those who are inside the kingdom and those who are out will be their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who trust in Jesus will be in and those who don't, for whatever reason, for whatever other religion, whatever sincerity they have, whatever good deeds they have, if you don't trust in Jesus, you'll be excluded from the kingdom. And as a sign, as a blessing to that man's faith, Jesus says he is healed. And at that very moment, crossing geographic boundaries, Jesus doesn't have to be in the presence of someone to heal them. He can speak a word in one place and kilometers or hundred meters away change happens. Effect happens. A servant who was paralyzed, it's pretty hard to fake that healing. It's not like the lengthening of legs that some of the you know, guys see on YouTube. It's, he's, he can't walk. Now he's walking. With a word. The third portrait is Peter's mother-in-law. You know, Peter, one of the apostles, one of the disciples of Jesus of called, is a married man. In his following of Jesus, he, he's leaving behind his wife. And as he follows Jesus, he leaves behind his wife. And his wife's mother is sick. See the compassion of Jesus. Verse 14. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And I love this. And she rose and began to serve him. And, you know, her response to healing was just, I want to serve you. Uh, I, I want to uh, thank you. Uh, and that ought to be ours when we're healed in faith and, and uh, saved by Christ. Our response ought to be like Peter, his mother-in-law. Just, how can I serve you, Lord? What can I do? I love you. And what's more than that, that evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. It's horrible. Can you imagine being in that state? Someone who is... Not just suffering, but suffering with spiritually unclean forces attacking you, tormenting you, 
speaking to you, casting you down, causing malady and pain in your life. And look what Jesus does. He cast out the spirit with a word and healed all who were sick. You know, very different to the exorcist of Jewish, uh, the Jewish exorcist of Jesus' time. They had all these rituals and, and incenses and words and incantations and things they would say and conjure up and save the demons. It would take a long time. And Jesus, with a word, an authoritative word, cast them out. Evil spiritual forces must obey Jesus upon his mind. So Matthew's piling up these stories. He's parading them before us that Jesus, not just this great teacher with authority, he is a man of authority. His very words are not empty rhetoric. They change the physical universe. In fact, the physical universe came into being at the word of Jesus Christ, we're told in Colossians and John 1. And when Jesus speaks, the very cells in the universe recognize his voice and fall into line. They obey, like the soldiers obey the centurion. They hear Jesus say, be cleansed, and the diseased cells die, and the new ones are reborn, and healing comes. Legs start to work again. Fevers leave. And Matthew wants us to see this authority, that Jesus is not just this mere teacher, but the authoritative Son of God. Matthew allows no superficial, lame, or tame ideas of Jesus. He's no mouse. He's a lion. When he speaks, things change. Do you see his authority? When you think of Jesus, do you think of him as a man of unmatchable authority? Authority over the world, authority over sickness, and authority over your very own life. Authority over the kingdoms and nations of this earth. That's who Jesus is. So that's point one. See his authority. That's what Matthew is trying to show us. And then, point two, follow his lead. In view of his authority, Matthew makes it clear what he expects of us in response, that we are to follow this man. To follow Jesus no matter what he asks us to do, no matter where he asks us to go. And we're going to see here that following Jesus requires unswerving allegiance, unconditional allegiance to him. In verses 18 to 20, he's calling us to count the cost of what it will truly mean to be a follower of Jesus. And if you're not yet a Christian and you're thinking in your head, should I follow Jesus or not? Like he sounds great. If he can heal me, he can bring all these benefits to me. And you know, Christianity seems like a, a good philosophy. It seems like a good way of life and morals. And I like morals. Morals are good. Jesus sort of comes against that a bit and wants to militate against that and make sure that we truly understand what it means to be his follower. Look at verses 18 to 20. Understandably, a crowd forms around Jesus, as it would, 
Yeah. Even today, I think, you know, people would get out of the hospital and walk to Jesus if he was around because the healings are a lot faster and more uh, final. <laughs> when the crowd comes around in verse 18, he gave orders, note again his authority, he gives orders to go over to the other side. So they're going to get in a boat and leave. And a scribe, that is someone who's been trained from a boy into adulthood in the Old Testament, searched all the scriptures, knows them off by heart, a scribe comes up to Jesus and says to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now we don't know exactly uh, his motivation. We don't know exactly what's going on. Matthew doesn't tell us. However, we can notice the difference between how the leper comes to him uh, how the centurion comes to him. They say, uh, if you will, please. Whereas the scribe comes up, I will follow you. Perhaps he's thinking, perhaps you might need me with my expertise in the law. Uh, you might need me as a great teacher, as an authoritative figure. Whatever it was, Jesus picks up on potentially his pride and naivety. And Jesus says to him, foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's referring to himself as this new figure, this Son of Man, which fulfills uh, the prophecy of Daniel that the Son of Man will come, and we'll get into that in later weeks. But he's outlining to us what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, is to have unconditional trust. He's going to call his followers to do things that they wouldn't ordinarily want to do. Who here wants to roam around with no bed to sleep in, not knowing where you're going to be tonight? That, that freaks me out. I think if I was in this scenario, if it wasn't with the grace of God, I think I would have gone, great teacher, I like my pillow. Uh, if, if, if following you means I don't know where I'm going to be tonight, I've got a family, I can't just get up and follow you. But Jesus is calling this man out and his motives. And he's requiring of him. Are you prepared? Later, Jesus is going to say, take up your cross and follow me. These are hard words. We don't know what the scribe did in response. But nonetheless, the lesson stands for us today. We say we are followers of this Jesus. Yet we often say it from the comfort of our homes and our holidays. What would we do if he called us to follow him into costly, sacrificial territory. If he, and it's not his call on everyone's life is to, is to do this, but what would you do if he did call you to that? Would you follow him? Would you go? Would you trust him? Following Jesus means we must count the cost and follow with unconditional trust. Are you prepared for that? Not only do we need to trust him, we need to count our loyalties. Look at verses 21 to 22. Another of the disciples, so now we've gone from a scribe to a disciple. So this person's potentially been following Jesus around for quite some time. He's heard the Sermon on the Mount, he's seen many of the hearings. And he says to Jesus, like, before we get into that boat, let me first go and bury my father. Now, it seems like a reasonable request, uh, but most likely what he actually means is, 
My father has not yet died. He, he's late in his life. And my duty as a son is to be there for him and to give him the honour and the proper burial that he deserves. Now, that's what most commentators think that is most likely what that means. Because if his father had just died, why was he following Jesus around right now? He should be doing the burial already. So it's likely that he's saying, look, I will follow you, Jesus. Just let me, you know, I'm going to look after my family first. And when it's more convenient for me, when the time's right, um, then I will go um, and I will follow you. Jesus again, look at he's so authoritative and it rubs up against us. It doesn't sit well with us naturally. Jesus says to him, follow me. And not just that, not just follow me, but let the dead leave the dead to bury their own dead. Perhaps what Jesus really means there is leave those who are spiritually dead to look after the spiritually dead people. Leave, those, leave these material, worldly concerns behind and follow me, for I've come to bring life and life to the full. And in this, we ought to see Jesus' authority again. He is saying that your duty to me is higher than your duty your parents. And the only person who could ever claim that level of allegiance is God himself. For God's law expressly says to honour your father and your mother. And the only time you could disregard that or, or move through that to do something else would be to follow what God himself has called you to do. And so Jesus here is aligning himself with the very nature and quality of God. He's saying to this man, don't miss the boat. Recalibrate your loyalties. <coughs> Me first. And then, man. Later, Jesus will say, whoever, is not with, whoever does not hate his father or mother or brother or sister is not worthy of me and my kingdom. He's not saying we're to dishonor our parents, to not love them, to not care for our friends and family. But he's saying... Where is your allegiance first and foremost? To me or to the world? Even the most loved people in this world. He's crying out, don't miss the boat. It seems hard and harsh and authoritarian, you know. Follow me. Nobody just wants to bury his you know, father, let the bear go. But it only seems that way when we lose sight of what the stakes are. You see, authority it depends on who it is and the circumstance of where it's happening. Imagine tonight you go to Messina and you've got your favourite order of what you want to get and you walk into the store at Messina and normally you're like, oh, can I try that? And can I try that? And they smile and say, oh, sure, I'd love to do this again for the 600th time. And they feed you the samples. I don't even think they do that anymore because of coronavirus, which is sad. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I want to try that. And eventually you, you decide in your head, this is what I get. And they say, okay, you're going to have three strips, coconut, pandan, mango, sorbet, and pistachio, and you're going to have it on a cone. $8.20, thanks. Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't tell me 
the kind of ice cream that I'm going to make, and that's not my order. Like, no, that's what you're having. $8.20, thanks. You'd be like, whoa, who are you? You don't have any authority over me. You can't tell me. The customer is always right. I am the customer. Let me have the ice cream that I want. But if you change the scenario, and now you've been transported to the hills of Afghanistan, you look down, you're in combat fatigues. You look around, there's bullets flying, dust going everywhere, explosions. You see blood, dead bodies. You're holding an assault rifle. Rocks are breaking ahead as bullets are flying around you, yelling and screaming. You're frozen with fear. And then you see this boss of a soldier come out of nowhere, leaves his barricade, runs across, fires a few shots, take down the enemy in the hills, and says to you, follow me, let's go. What are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, you'd be foolish to say, no, 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 no. I'm the boss of myself. I think I'll be fine. You see, when we come into contact with who Jesus really is, and we understand the stakes that we're in, we understand that heaven and hell hang in the balance, that our very eternal life or everlasting torment are on the tables. When he says, Follow me. You better listen. He's the only one that has the authority to say, Come into my kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. Remember what he said to the centurion. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because of their faith. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, we are in a spiritual war, not an ice cream shop. We need an authoritative saviour who knows the way back to safety. Jesus is our commander-in-chief, our leader, our boss. And when he says, follow me, he's using his authority for our good. Jesus' authority demands our unconditional allegiance and will lead to our unending good. So friends, no matter the circumstance, no matter what he calls you to do, no matter what the cost may be, follow him. Follow his lead. But finally, I want you to know this. Point number three, know his love. You see, authority in and of itself is not necessarily a good thing, as we've seen. It depends on who has it and how they intend to use it. You can probably all think of people who have had authority and power in our lives or know of people that have been in positions under someone's authority and power where they've been abused. Perhaps a father, a teacher, a pastor, a coach, a boss. It's horrible what men and women can do when they abuse authority. I'm so sorry if you've had experiences like this. And I can imagine how a talk like this would make you worry. Scared, anxious. 
This idea of submitting yourself under authority when you've seen it so abused, when you've experienced how it can all go wrong. Perhaps you're weary of authority. Perhaps you're weary of the incompetence and the malpractice you've seen with those in authority. Perhaps you're skeptical. Perhaps you're new to the faith, new to Jesus, and you don't know him well enough yet to know whether or not you want to follow him. I want to end today by pointing out one final thing that Matthew wants us to see in this text. He wants us to not just see his authority, but to know his love. To know his love. You see, in all these miracle stories, look who is healed. A diseased, leprous outcast. A Gentile, ethnically unclean servant. A marginalized, older lady. You see that Jesus wields his authority for the good of the oppressed, the good of the downtrodden, the good of those who need him. He never uses his authority for his own self-aggrandizement or comfort, but he gives it in order to save those who need it. His authority is not just raw power, but it's characterized by love. And what is implicit about his love in these stories is made clear and explicit in verse 17. You see, Matthew, after the death, resurrection, ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, inserts his commentary to these stories in verse 17. This, that is, these miracles, was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. In his authority, in these demonstrations of his authority, these are signposts of his love. They're signposts of the cross that he will bear, where he will once and for all deal with the root cause of sickness, disease, and death, and he will take upon him our very sins. See, all these maladies and diseases, they are the fruit of sin. They're not the root. And if Jesus was just to heal the fruit, paralysis, um, uh, leprosy, fever, it would not ultimately be love. But he goes further. He goes all the way to the cross and in himself bears our sin that we deserve. And so destroys the root of our sin. And so in these miracles, it's a sign of his love because it's a sign of the cross that he will one day bear. Not only points to the cross, but it points to the future kingdom. Because as a result of his substitutionary sacrificial death in our place, he will deal decisively and heal sickness, sin, and death. The root will be destroyed one day. Though we see it in part now, and there are times when we see his healing break out and we're grateful for it. One day, all of our maladies, all of our you know, pains, our mental illnesses, our physical burdens we bear, will be lifted from us. They were born by him upon the cross, and we will enter into that kingdom feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the men and women from the east and west who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what the Apostle John says. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall they be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. 
These miracles are a sign, not just of his authority, but of his love. They point to the cross and the coming kingdom. And they preach to us. They say to us, you can trust him. He is a loving authority. You can follow him no matter what he asks you to do. And so friends, see his authority. View Jesus as the preeminent and supreme one. Follow his lead no matter what. With uncompromising allegiance. And know his love in the process. That he calls you because he loves you. And seeks your good. I will pray. Almighty God, I pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. God, help us to follow you. We're so afraid of losing. We're so afraid of sacrifice. We're so afraid of what you may call us to do. But may we know your love. May we know that you only call us into glory. You only call us upward to that eternal kingdom. And though there may be valleys and ups and downs in the process, will we ask that you would give us faith to follow you. For any here, Lord, who are not yet in your kingdom, who will not bow the knee to you, would you soften their hearts even now? Would they hear your voice as you call out to them this very morning, follow me? Would they hear that? Would their spirit yield? Would they confess that you are Lord? Bend the knee and enter into glory. Lord, give us grace for the journey. Help us to run the race to the end. You're our leader. You're our boss. You're our commander. You're our king. We love you. Amen. Stand and worship him.